Hello, and welcome to In All Things, a podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a global movement of Evangelical Presbyterian churches. Thank you for joining us. I'm Rachel Joseph. Your host for In All Things is Dean Weaver, stated clerk of the EPC. Our prayer is that God uses Dean and his guests to both inform and inspire you about how God is working in and through the EPC. The motto of our family of churches is, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. Now, here's Dean. Uh, This is Dean joining you again for another edition of our podcast, In All Things, In All Things, In the Essentials Unity, In the Non-Essentials Liberty, and In All Things, Charity or Love. In Him, all things hold together. All things are made by Him, for Him, and through Him. And as we consider all of the things that God has given us to do as his church, the EPC. And we're delighted to have with us today a special guest, which is Brian Smith. And Brian is, uh, what's fun is that Brian is oftentimes on the producing side of the table and he's on the guest side of the table today. So the, the tables have turned a little bit. The communicator becomes the communicated I'm not sure how that all works, but at any rate, you're going to... Welcome to my world. That's exactly right. Thanks. But before we dig in today, we just want to thank all of you for taking the time to join us for these podcasts and sending them on to others, particularly those in the EPC. Our hope is to start with these as kind of EPC focused, but then expand those to things that we think will be of high value, not only to our brothers and sisters in the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, but hopefully beyond. It may be one of those things where you find one of the topics that we look at down the road interesting enough to share with your friends, um, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family members, and we just appreciate you getting that word out uh, and letting people know that that resource is available to them. So when I first came to the EPC, you know, a number of years ago, one of the uh, early on people, and I think he's one of the few people left from the days in which the EPC was actually had its office up in the Detroit area, Brian Smith. And Brian is is not only our director of communications, but now uh, oversees our digital strategies too. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But Brian is that uh, person who's at the hub of the wheel in terms of a lot of our communication, well, all of our communication efforts in the APC, and has been for quite some period of time. So if you've seen something, heard something, know anything about the APC, that's in large measure because Brian has been getting that out with his team of writers and, and supporters who are able to help cover a lot of ground with, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> very limited resources, uh, but has been doing that quite well. If you've been to a, a general assembly, you've undoubtedly seen Brian. Uh, if you joined last year our uh, virtual assembly or came in through a hybrid this year, uh, you might have seen the work, at least, that Brian has done, or perhaps you've received uh, something from the EPC Connections on a regular basis, posting some of the things that are going on in the life of the church. And then, of course, uh, we're going to save this discussion for a little later. There was a seminal moment, I think, in the life of the EPC a few years back where Brian uh, was really right in the middle of the storm of activity that was going on, getting the word out in a way that was not just informative, but mobilized the church, really, uh, to prayer and to uh, concern and advocacy on behalf of one of our own. But we'll be talking about that in a little bit. So, Brian, let's start with a little bit of a background. I think you're one of the more visible people in the EPC because you've been here for a while and your role puts you in that place. I I know you'd rather be behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, and you do that well. But a lot of people probably know you because of your central role in our communications. But help people to get to know 
the real Brian Smith? What's behind the scenes? Is the rumor true that there was a time back in the early 90s when you sported a mullet? Uh, let's go into the deep details. Tell us about your wife, your children, the trajectory of God's ministry in your life. Now we're talking, this isn't a long form podcast, so you're going to have to condense that a little bit, but give us a little bit of the story so our, our folks listening today can get to know you a little bit better. Well, I'm glad to do that. And of course, uh, yeah, we do want to keep this as brief as possible so we can keep our audience as long as possible. You're the subject today, Brian. You're not the person producing. So take that hat off and now just answer the question, please. That's right. Okay. Well, first off, before I dig into that, it is a pleasure to be here on this side of the microphone. And those of those who know my name know that I'm typically behind the scenes and even further behind the scenes than what might be expected. I don't put my name on any of the articles that I write. They're not about me. They're about the person we're you know, communicating about, but those all come out of our office. But it is fun to be on this side of the microphone. So, Just as a sidebar, EPC, most of the letters that come from me uh, have Brian's fingerprints all over them, which means he's actually learning my voice, sends me stuff, I tweak it, and and the more we get to know each other, the less I tweak. But uh, if you say, gosh, Dean does a lot of writing, well, let's just say I have some really good support. So he, he, he does a lot of great writing and calls very little attention to himself. Well, that's right. I enjoy doing it too. Uh, you know, God's called me into a uh, support type of role, and I, you know, I thrive in that type of role. So it's been a pleasure to be at the EPC now for about seven and a half years. I came to the General Assembly office in 2014 when the office was in Livonia. And yes, there are only two of us left uh, from, from that group. For good or bad, I am the senior citizen now of the General Assembly staff, so that's kind of scary. That's not going to get you a better parking space out in front of the office, so just give that up right now. I gave that up long ago. I sure did. But uh, anyway, I've been in ministry since 1986, really. I became a believer in 1985, and a year later was on the road with a Christian band. And yes, I did have a mullet. It was in the late 80s, though, I've yet not the to 90s. see a picture. I've heard rumors, but I, I would like to see the picture someday. Yeah, my wife won't let me share those publicly. <laughs> and I should listen to my wife more. She is uh, a wise woman, and she tells me to keep the mullet pictures private. So <laughs> every now and then one you know slips out. So I try to, uh, you know, anyway, yeah, enough on the mullet. But spent a few years traveling with a Christian group, had a little bit more of a public ministry then than I do now, played trombone and did a number of other things uh, on the public side, and then went back, finished college, and then took a couple of years in a video production company in Nashville, Tennessee, and then went on to seminary, felt God called me onto the mission field, and felt like uh, seminary was the, the, the logical step to do that. So went on, got, got an MDiv, was in the process of being appointed to the mission field, and God kind of changed directions on me a little bit, went into a, a church staff uh, situation there in Dallas, met Paula, now my wife, and we've been married 21 years now, two teenagers, one in her freshman year of college and the other one's a high school sophomore. Been in ministry almost full-time now since 1986 uh, when I went on the road, other than a few years to go back and finish college and then that position there in Nashville and then another couple of years in the corporate sector when I was in Dallas. But I've been full-time ministry since 19, oh, actually about 2000, I guess. Okay. So that's one of those things that people probably wouldn't know about you. You're, you're obviously an EPC guy. You're all in, and it's, it's your brand. It's your tribe. It's your DNA. Absolutely. And yet, you're an ordained pastor. I'm actually an ordained Southern Baptist minister. Oh, that's my right. goodness. Bring it, brother. Bring it. 
my Bible is not black leather. It's sort of a tan leather, but... Uh, but it's got red letters. But it does have red letters. Okay. As a friend of mine would say, read the red, pray for the power. <laughs> that's, a, that's excellent. Well, I think that's one of those things people probably don't know about you. They know that you have a pastoral way about you and pastoral sensibilities about you, but they may not have realized you've served in executive pastor roles and other places where um, your MDiv and your, your ordination has actually played out in a local church context. And now we at the EPC are the beneficiaries of that. Yeah, I, I served on the local church staffs for almost 20 years, about 15 years as a director slash pastor of communications in a couple of different large churches, and then as a business administrator for a large uh, multi-campus megachurch uh, in the Southeast, and then as executive pastor immediately prior to coming to the EPC, now seven years ago. And, and while communication is one of those fast-changing things, it's always rapidly uh, evolving right before our very eyes, I do want to point out that I think one of the gifts that you bring, Brian, is that if a, one of our churches were to reach out to us, if they press you know, the EPC extension and, and get your office, and they're looking for help in terms of communication, you're not just like that denominational guy who does communication. You've actually done that in the local church. You actually know what that means, what that looks like, what their struggles are, what their barriers are. So you, when people call you for help, they're getting someone who's actually got a, a track record and some experience under their belt in local churches communicating. That's right. I understand the rhythm of the local church, the, the Sunday to Wednesday kind of grind that it can be, especially in a big church that has a communication pastor. But even in the smaller churches that don't have that specific full-time or even part-time, in many cases, even a volunteer person available to do those things, I have a pretty good understanding, you know, just from years of doing it, uh, of just sort of how the pastor deals with communications either to his congregation or her congregation at the local internal level, as well as dealing with media situations that might arise. And, and that's one of the, the, the great joys I get in this role is being able to serve our churches in a crisis communications you know, type of capacity. I've had a couple opportunities to do that over the years. And while I hate that those come up, if God can use me to, to help guide church leaders in a situation that, that they're not as experienced in, well, you know, to God be the glory for that. For well, sure. let's put crisis communications over in the parking lot for one second. I want to come back to that in a minute. But recently, because this last two years now almost with the pandemic has been uncharted territory for us, there have been a lot of churches that had needed help uh, kind of adapting uh, to this new digital environment. And you really played a key role for a lot of our, particularly our um, under-resourced churches, maybe our smaller churches or churches that haven't had the opportunity to be involved in the digital arena before. Can you tell us a little bit about how you actually really practically served some of our churches and our presbyteries in terms of some digital things in the last two years? Sure. That, and that was great fun. You know, as we all know, a year and a half plus ago, our pastors were forced to become televangelists overnight. Oh, perish the thought. I know. And you experienced that uh, did. in your role yeah. and was able to help a lot of our churches and presbyteries kind of navigate what that looked like. Of course, we had our General Assembly, our 40th General Assembly in 2020, delayed from June to September as we navigated what all that was going to look like, you know, from our end of things. And Kind of the linchpin that this whole thing hinged on was we held a, a called meeting of the General Assembly on May 1st to delay the assembly to September. And of course, later we 
added you know the full virtual and all those different things uh, that, that was encompassed in that. But how are we going to accomplish a virtual called meeting of the assembly? There hadn't been one since Jeff Jeremiah was elected state of clerk back in oh six or oh seven. So it had been quite a while. Technology obviously has changed a lot to do that by telephone, which I believe is how it was done back then. Right was not really going to be the most effective means to do this. So we did some research and talked to some folks that I trust and, and know the industry, and Zoom was going to be the best tool to use. I had never touched Zoom. Well, two years ago, none of us had ever heard of Zoom. That's right. Yeah. And you, I mean, so you served the entire EPC by pivoting so quickly and making that adaptation so that we could have a general assembly, which was really important because a lot of other people were canceling, but it helped us to keep things moving forward as we needed to, especially in a time of transition. But Jeff also passed a provisional opinion um, as a stated clerk that allowed our churches to be able to have congregational meetings and presbyteries to have meetings virtually. And you had a lot of churches that reached out to you as well exactly. for helping that. They sure did. And that was how, that was why that, that called meeting was, was what I call the linchpin that everything hinged on. Because when that, you know, came off pretty well with no huge glitches, I was a pretty visible resource, you know, for our churches. Hey, how did you do that? How can we now accomplish a uh, Congregational meetings, presbyteries were asking, how can we accomplish a presbytery meeting virtually with things like votes and ballots and and security and a lot of other issues that were on the table? But by doing that called meeting gave me the skill set then to be able to help our churches with the very needs that I had to learn myself right. and hopefully help our churches not have to go through all the, the, the learnings that I did on the fly and be able to get them up to speed pretty quickly. And I think we were... Hopefully pretty successful. Yeah, I think so. Uh, so I, I want to come back to the value that your department adds to not just the denomination, but to local churches as well in terms of digital strategies in a few seconds. But before we do that, I want to go back to the parking lot and pull out that crisis communication thing, because sometimes churches do find themselves in a place where something unfortunate has happened or something tragic has happened or something dangerous has happened. And navigating through the minefields of what to say and what not to say and who to say it to and all of that. Most churches aren't blessed with having a PR department to vet that stuff through. So talk to me a little bit about how you have served churches in that kind of capacity. Sure. And without going into any specifics, because I don't want to share too much or too little for that matter, basically it's often more what you don't say that's more important. Kind of an, an, an adage that we have in the business, so to speak, is that when a reporter calls you, they already have their story written and they just want to fill in a gap with a quote from you. So whatever you say is going to fit their narrative. So the less you say, kind of the better. To go to a specific instance, we had a church that was having some activists use some of our materials as ammunition against the church. And Local media got wind of it, and you know the phone rings at the church, and this is out there. What's your comment? And from a public-facing and transparency standpoint, no comment is not always the best answer. Right, right. Looks you like you're hiding something. Exactly. Now, you don't always have to answer right away, and that's where we come in, is you get that call. I'm not quite sure what to do with it, but in many— Press, press the pause button. Press the pause button. Don't— you know, don't return a call right away. Call your adjunct staff member in Orlando, Brian Smith, and 
walk through the scenario. Yeah, I like the way you said that, your adjunct staff member. Uh, uh, Jerry Iamuri, our assistant state clerk, is fond of saying that the Office of the General Assembly is like that extension on your phone um, where you press a button and you can talk to a live person in the benefits department to help you navigate your retirement or your health care. Press a button and you can talk to someone to help you with online giving or press to someone. So if they press the communications button in the Office of the General Assembly, at that pause moment where they're like, oh my gosh, we can't afford a PR firm. We don't have anybody to help us navigate this minefield. I'm going to call down to the General Assembly and get Brian's counsel on how we ought to proceed in terms of communicating around this particular issue. Exactly. And that's really how I view a significant portion of my role. We serve the churches. That's, that's what right. That's the right. Office of the Assembly, General it's, Assembly does. It's a tremendous resource. I'm not sure everybody knows it's out there, and that's kind of the purpose of this podcast is hoping to get that word out there so people know that that resource is available to them. That's yep. right. And, of course, from my years serving on the church staff, we had issues come up. And, of course, whenever you say issues come up, the kind of the first thing that comes to mind is, oh, a, a minister fell again. And yes, that happens, but it doesn't have to be the nuclear event such as that. We pray it never is. And thankfully in EPC that has been very few and far between. But, you know, things do come up. Uh, a staff member gets a traffic ticket and somebody was listening to the police scanner and, you know, it comes up. Well, we're glad to help you navigate any of that. And it's not just dealing with local media who might call. Um, you know, there could be any number of issues, risk management, I mean, you name it. Congregational communication. Sure, yeah. internal, and yeah. lots of experience in that area too. So you could have issues in the church that, again, you know, I kind of lean on the transparency side of things, but full disclosure does not always mean right. you know, full transparency. So there's ways to navigate that that uh, we're certainly more than glad to help our churches with. So uh, one more value add that I want to kind of approach before we get kind of the big seminal story that I think is uh, important for everyone to see behind the scenes on regarding how you serve the church. You are now, you've been the director of communications, but now you've got this fancy extra title, director of communications and digital strategies, which sounds very, very impressive. We actually can provide help to churches in the information technology sector too, because you now actually supervise all of the IT things for us in the denomination. And you've got a new staff person with tremendous skill set and experience and background that, that we've never had before. We've always had good IT for in the office, but we've never been in a place where we could say to people, look, if you have a question about IT, you could actually hit that same extension and not just get communication help, but you could get some IT help as well. Could you kind of introduce us to who that new person is and uh, tell us a little bit about how they might potentially uh, serve the church? Sure. Yeah, I'm very, very pleased that we have Scott Blanchett on our team now. And he, come, he came to us recently from a 25-year career in uh, technology consulting with, in the healthcare industry, with hospital chains and individual hospitals and very high-level stuff all over, all over the world, really, was a hospital system chief information officer for a number of years. So he just brings a wealth of IT experience and not just the geeky back room where the servers live and there's spider webs in the corner and you never see him or he never sees you. We're talking about practical, relevant, used to helping nurses and hospital staff and all of that use technology 
to its fullest extent to the benefit of both the organization and the people the organization serves, in his experience case, hospital patients. Right. So really, really important uses of technology. Well, Scott brings all of that to us now with a heart for Christ and a heart to serve our churches. And he is just an expert in best practices on how technology serves the organization because ultimately that's what technology is. It's a, it's, it's a tool. It's a service. Like many of them, a personnel manual, for example, it's best when it's invisible. Right. And Scott can help any of our churches that are navigating that scenario with help, advice, years of experience brought to bear. So, that, And that's a great tool that we now have in our tool set that, like you say, we just haven't had the bandwidth to do. Now, obviously, he still serves our office and does it well, but the bandwidth and skill set is right. such that he can now take that outside our office into all of our churches and looks forward to the possibility of doing that. And I know uh, Bart Francisconi, our executive director for Benefits Resources, Inc., the, the part of the EPC that serves our pastors by their caring for them and their health care and their retirement and other benefits. They're, they're, they're just uh, drooling at the idea that they now have an IT person in-house who's got this background in health care so that hopefully that means, you know, continued terrific service uh, and no hitch in the giddy up, if you will, for healthcare and technology for our people. So that's one part of it. But at the same time, if, if a church basically said, hey, we're thinking about doing a podcast or we want to evaluate some kind of video equipment or we wanted to understand what kind of computers would be best if we we're going to do you know, editing or you know, what have you, uh, again, press that extension. And, and now they're talking, looking for Scott, right? Right. And our office is, is uh, also available for you know more on the communication side, website helps, social media, you know, strategies, anything like that. Yeah, we are certainly glad to you know, help serve our churches in that way, you know, you know, as hands-on as we need to be. We're, you know, I'm very glad to essentially serve as a staff consultant right. uh, in those areas. Have done that you know, for I a number of years. I don't know that people realize what a value they have, uh, and especially with Scott added to the team. I think that value has just gotten a lot stronger. So, All right, so let's go there, Brian. Let's go to that seminal time. Uh, and I think as you look back someday on your calling, uh, really, to serve the EPC in this way, you'll probably always look back on this one event as kind of that defining moment where you know, God kind of puts you not just in a place of kind of being on the periphery, but really in the center uh, of the activity. And that has to do with not just communicating out to people what's going on, but it ultimately led to an incredible mobilization of uh, the EPC in prayer. And ultimately, you are the first person basically beating all of the secular press to declare that our own Andrew Brunson had been released from prison a number of years ago. So could you give us a just a sense of, um, you know, from your reflecting back on that time, the role that our director of communications and our office in communications played in terms of kind of entering into what became really a defining moment for the EPC and for our, our brother Andrew? You're exactly right. As I look back on that, even now, the seminal moment pretty much describes it. You know, here was one of our own. Jeff Jeremiah learned he was in prison, and okay, well, now what? Well, first things first, let's get some prayer support, right? We've got to let everybody know what's going on so they can go to their knees and, and go to the Father. And so, very, from the very early stages, we just developed a strategy of keeping the EPC informed of what the situation was. There was so much we couldn't tell 
because there was so much behind the scenes negotiation and lobbying and trips to Washington, D.C. to beat the doors and, and stomp the halls. Now, Jeff did all of that, but he would keep me apprised of how things were. And I wish I could have told some of those stories, but because of the nature of the situation, you know, we just had to keep it at a, a fairly high level, but a, a very distinct prayer support level. Okay, well, fast forward. Andrew's first trial, when all was said and done, that the charges were levied, all that stuff, sat in the courtroom in Turkey. And I had I was communicating with a couple of our people who had gone over there. I was communicating with them by a secure text. I think Richard White was probably Richard one White of those, was one of, one of pastors. them. Yes, Andrew's pastor there in North Carolina. I got up at two two o'clock in the morning, roughly, so I could be online while the trial was live and just monitoring the, the news. I had a couple of Turkish news outlets uh, on my browser, and I had CNN and some you know some Western Reuters you know from England. And as I would just watch the news come across, of course, it would be the end of the trial, you know, that, that particular session of it, before there was really anything out. But I learned over the course of three trials, when Andrew sat in that courtroom, that the media was not going to be my best source for immediacy. So I learned, well, let's look at Twitter, because even though I can't read Turkish, the name Andrew Brunson didn't translate into the Turkish characters. It was still Turkish characters, Andrew Brunson. And not, not the Twitter feed on your phone, but I went to twitter.com and searched that term, Andrew Brunson, and then had them search by latest at the top. And so whenever there was a break in the trial, a quick 20-minute recess or whatever you know it might have been, people in the room would go outside and, and tweet out what was happening. Right. And as soon as I saw a Turkish tweet with Andrew Brunson in it, I tossed it into Google Translate, get an idea of what was going on. Now, I mentioned earlier, journalists are going to write their story and look for a quote. Well, I had written for each of these trials three or four different articles of possible outcomes, returned to prison, released, you know, whatever it might have been. And so I had those ready to go so that we could get news out to the EPC with regardless of what the situation was. Well, release to house arrest was not one of the possibilities we had considered. Hmm. So when it came time for the third trial, and about 4 o'clock in the morning when release to house arrest hit, well, let's throw that one together. But I was monitoring on the Turkish Twitter again, and so that came across. So I tossed something to, together. Jeff Jeremiah had also gotten up early, and we were texting each other. Um, and when that came up, we called. It was about 4 o'clock in the morning for me, so it was 1 o'clock in the morning for him. And, okay, did we expect this? No, I'll have a draft for you shortly. So we threw something together. He approved it. It was, let's send this out. Well, okay. So published it, released a house address, took a deep sigh. I was a newspaper journalist for a couple of years in the mid-90s, realized that is not my greatest strength. Now, I can do it. It's a rush. Any newspaper journalist, especially if they're with a daily, understand that. But I can't live in that rhythm. But I can do it every so often. So when that hit, that was just a, a deep sigh and a sense of satisfaction. You know, we got that out there. And I just kind of collapsed for a little bit. I took a nap. Well, Jeff called me, I want to say later in the day. But he told me, did you see the, and I can't remember the outlet, if it was Washington Post or New York Times, one of the major media outlets, did you see their story? No. Well, it turns out they ran my story. We scooped the entire Western media with that. And it was just kind of mind-boggling, even now, to think that that really, 
I'm just me, you know, right. one man shop monitoring Twitter, trying to keep the EPC informed. And we beat the Western media on Andrew going to prison or, or being released to house arrest from prison. Not on a Pulitzer Prize hanging on my wall. No one knew about it, and that's okay. Our folks knew about it. But the larger, greater value to me in all that, yeah, it's a personal kick to have scooped the Western media. My college journalism professor, he's with the Lord now, but he would have been really, really pleased to have told his classes. You know, one of his former students did that. But the greater thing to me was when I finally met Andrew at the 19 Assembly in Colorado. And he thanked me for helping mobilize prayer on his behalf. I think it hit me more at that moment than when Jeff asked if I had seen you know, that, that one article online. Because what that told me was God was working through us, right. in us and through us for the greater good. And to just see it on Andrew's face and Noreen's face thanking me for helping mobilize the prayer support was just humbling in the most, and I use the word awesome very reverently, in the most reverently awesome you know, thing I've probably ever experienced, certainly professionally. And if you've heard Andrew speak at all since he's you know, been back home or back in the States, he firmly believes that the prayer that was levied toward Turkey on his behalf has a much larger purpose. Yeah. And he, he very much believes that the revival is on its way in that part of the world. And this prayer support is paving the way for the Holy Spirit to move and do an immense work over there. So to think that maybe I had a small part in that right. is, there's no words for it. It's hard uh, to describe. And I, and I guess that's what I, and you telling that story, I was hoping our listeners would, would pay attention to, is that communication for us is not rote, it's not routine, it's not uh, just getting information out there or publicizing something. God spoke the world into existence. He, he literally speaks, and the and the creation comes into being. And we know from John, he's he's the Word of God. So this idea of speaking is sacred. This idea of communication is so close to the very character and heart of God. You know, as preachers, we think that all the time. But in terms of you bringing to your position, Brian, your calling, not only this sense of getting the word out, but how it relates to something sacred like prayer. So here is one of our own who's imprisoned and the communication is a part, a seminal part of, of a prayer movement. And Andrew would tell you is prayer, actually huge numbers in China, uh, throughout Africa, the Middle East, not just in the EPC. So it, it's kind of like the EPC was in this case, because Andrew was one of our own, it was kind of like this little stone that dropped in the water and the concentric circles that went out from there actually got bigger and bigger and bigger until there was a, a really global prayer movement. And the fact that no one had had ra- uh, hit Turkey on its radar screen prior to this, I think Andrew kind of feels like maybe he went through all that he went through if for no other reason than to wake the world up and to pray for Turkey. Your uh, role served to help facilitate that, which I just think is so cool. And I think it's a story that you know our, our family in the EPC needs to realize was, was what was going on behind the scenes. Yes, I, I played a part in that. And that's humbling and gratifying and, and fulfilling that, hey, God, you called me to this you know, X number of years slash decades ago, and you're accomplishing your will through me. But it's not just me. Every single person who prayed for Andrew and Noreen was part of that. Yeah. 
Well, that's what communication does. It actually draws us all together, has the capacity to put us all on the same page. Hopefully it's God's page and he moves us forward in his will for his church. And that's what you help us to do. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's a thrill to do it. Uh, When I came in and, and just sort of started developing and implementing denominational strategies for denominational communications. Top of the list uh, back in 2014 was telling the story of God's work in the world in and through the EPC and her churches. Amen. And that's what we've tried to do, whether it's a story of Andrew being released to house arrest or our churches in Louisiana suffering because of Hurricane Ida or a, a church planting retreat and what our church planters are doing, the church health uh, strategies for the denomination. Or a church in South Jersey that is celebrating 200, what was it, 250 years in the same building. The same building. Let, let, let alone, they've, they've been around longer than that. This was just all in the one building. And, uh, and you wrote a great story about that too. So there's a lot of great stories of what God is doing through the EPC. And you're at that place of sharing those with us. So Brian, we thank you very much for your service to the church and the way in which you really view that as a ministry so that that, that calling and gifting God has given you as a pastor comes through in the way you help communicate and serve the EPC. Well, I hope it does. Uh, ultimately, to God be the glory. But yeah, if uh, the Holy Spirit shows through me and my work, then mission accomplished. Amen. Well, and we'll probably want to come back someday, maybe the next time Andrew or Noreen are in the Orlando area or at the office, we can have them in and have them as part of the podcast. I think it'd be fascinating to dig down deeper on that and give them an additional. Uh, They're going to be at uh, our General Assembly this next summer as part of our Leadership Institute, which will be uh, important. But perhaps if they are in this area sometime soon or, or maybe online, we can get them as a part of our podcast in the near future. That'd be terrific. Okay. So friends, thank you again for joining us. And we want you to spread this word, the word that all things, in all things, God is sovereign and supreme and reigns and rules. And uh, while we live in a world that sometimes is uh, seems like it's upside down, inside out and backwards, and we wonder what's coming next, we can trust in the sovereign one who has all things in his care and keeping. And so we want to close again, as we do with this verse, reminding us, the sun is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones and powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, for he is the head of the body, the church. Until the next time, my friends, May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you in all things. Thank you again for joining us. On behalf of Dean and the entire team, we hope you will join us for our next episode of In All Things. For more information about the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, including a directory of local churches, online resources, and much more, visit our website at www.epc.org. I'm Rachel Joseph. I pray you have an overwhelming sense of God's presence in all things today.